And yeah, then there's the guy who wanted to snatch up that baby. So I don't know what that was all. He about. was the only interesting your character baby. in this whole movie. Um, but yeah, I'll no. catch it all up when the baby's drooling. Like, Ugh! I'm so sorry. He loves to throw things. Well, I love to catch things. <laughs> Wow. Also, Laura Linney, who I do enjoy in a lot of things, I thought was completely embarrassed herself. One of her scenes is the one where I cringed the most, which is when she calls Sully and she's like, I just realized there were 257 passengers or whatever, or 157 passengers on yeah. that plane. And one of them was you. It's one like, of them could have been you. Like, oh my gosh. Could have been you. He's married to a mentally challenged person. Like, <laughs> it was just such a, oh God. I, I just, it was awful. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the James McAvoy film, which is Filth, based on the novel written by Irving Welsh. We came to you a long time ago seeking your help, and I'm going to say to you what you said to us then. Fuck off. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, FilmTankShow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome back into Film Tank. This is episode 82, and I am Alex Diekman, along with the usuals, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Hey! Welcome to Filth Tank. That was fucking fan-damn-tastic. Thank you. An all-timer. Yep. Really? I am Tucson yeah. Egan. I think our bar is lowered. Can it get much lower? <laughs> My name is Tucson Egan. I am Alex's uh, split bipolar personality. And I'm ready to talk about this movie. Oh, God. I couldn't stand you guys before and now. <laughs> Insufferable. The film we are talking about today is Filth, uh, directed by John S. Baird, who has not done uh, a lot in terms of film directing. And, uh, I feel like he's... He still hasn't. <laughs> he hasn't done a lot before, and he hasn't done a lot since. I, I wonder like why. he doesn't have much more to say after Filth. That was a, that was a career stopper. <laughs> Nick already just letting it out there. We haven't even gotten... Haven't I haven't even, even used a pun on Filth yet. So. Yeah. We haven't even gotten like two minutes in, and already he just planted his flag, so that's great. Uh, we will get to that in just a little bit. First, uh, we're going to talk about another Let's shit film. on a different movie. <laughs> going to talk about another film, uh, more recent. Uh, Filth isn't that old. It was 2013, I believe. Yes. And we're going to talk about a movie that uh, just won its second straight week at the box office, and that is Clint Eastwood's Sully, which stars Tom Hanks, uh, about the uh, miracle on the Hudson uh, involving uh, pilot Chesley Sully Sullenberger, who landed or crashed, however you want to call it. It's a controlled crash. Sure. A uh, U.S. Airways flight into the Hudson River in New York City um, years ago. And um, 
Yeah, this it was a lot longer. Could I really quickly just no? Say go it? ahead. Just as far as real life instance, it, like when they were doing the timeline, I like I was watching it, remembering when it happened, but I was very surprised to realize that it happened practically eight, nine years ago. I was thinking it was much more recent than that for some reason. It was when I was in high school, and I have a master's degree now, so that was there. You go, definitely some time ago. Um, yeah, this uh, the, this movie is just. Um... Unfortunately, uh, I think that Tom Hanks could have given a good performance here. And ultimately, I don't necessarily think he was bad. But just like the rest of the film, there wasn't really much to do here. And uh, when there was... Might as well call this movie Much Ado About Nothing. Okay. Uh, so, so I respect that. Thank you. When we do have some sort of substance here... It's either fictitious um, conflict between uh, the union board and Sully Sullenberger and his co-pilot played by Aaron Eckhart, or it's just silly dialogue created by Clint Eastwood, I guess. I This is just kind of a weird well, movie. Well, he wasn't the writer, to be fair. I, I got you on that. I just meant but... it's... it's... A real-life event that got adapted into Sully's memoir, and then that memoir got adapted into a script by a scriptwriter, right. and then this is the movie that Clint Eastwood made right. from that script. So there's four different levels of uh, perspective there, and none of them illuminating. I, I couldn't, for the life of you, tell me what the point of this film is. I, uh, I watched it. I thought it was... Other than American exceptionalism. Yeah, it, like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a miracle. It's great. It's, it's, it's a congratulatory statement for something that we already know is a miracle and i and i don't feel like it brought anything everybody in the theater is watching this movie and it's essentially a communal experience of anybody whether you're a democrat republic whatever like politically whatever out the door considering this is clint eastwood who is a very political figure sure yet we're all sitting in the theater going nobody is on the other side of this issue <laughs> nobody is on... <laughs> it's, it's a big... why are you trying to fight me on this everybody lived Yes. Everybody lived. <laughs> Why did you land that plane? Why didn't you crash into a building, you fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that is ultimately the most, uh, or I should say the biggest fabrication in the movie. Like, everything yeah. else in the movie is just pretty much, from what we can understand, the account of what happened. But the only thing that's truly fictional in this movie is the conflict. And it's like, that makes no sense because there was already a conflict at play here, which is the actual... Uh, you know, conflict Sully has to endure and fly in the plane. Those the the, the, the thing that, that sticks out most in my mind is the the flashbacks. Just because they fucked me up while watching this film, like they would go Got on emotional. for no, they would go on for <laughs> so long that I would forget the frame of reference of how they actually fit into the context, and they would jump back to present time. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's how we ended up here. Yeah, I, those flashbacks were like, what was the point of that? They didn't fuck me up, but like they would, <laughs> but every time they would cut to one, I was like. Oh, so he had prior experience with an airplane before this flight. <laughs> Maybe he knew what he was doing. <laughs> like, I didn't, yeah. He's a, he's well, a was... fucking airplane pilot. <laughs> of course he had prior experience. I know, but that's all they lived to serve. I mean. Unfortunately, they were so inconsistent, too, that it just didn't bring anything at all. It just made me confused. I thought it would be interesting. <laughs> If they had actually gone with this, like there would actually be conflicting information that would be compared from different people recollecting this 
this event, but it's only Sully really who's who's going through these flashbacks and him. And the guy who had a very confused look on his face when they start panning through the plane when they're about to take off, and wasn't confused. It was just odd. He's just like, whoa. <laughs> yep. And yeah, then there's the guy who wanted to snatch up that baby. So I don't know what that was all. He about. was the only interesting character baby. in this whole movie. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'll no. catch it all up when the baby's <laughs> drooling. Like, Ugh! I'm so sorry. He loves to throw things. Well, I love to catch things. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, I, I gotta say, what uh, the most asinine decision in the structure of this movie is the fact that we see the miracle on Hudson, so to speak, four different times, yeah. and, and in no way do we really get any new information each time. It's like if Rashomon. If all the four men <laughs> wore hearing aids and didn't hear the story that each one of them was telling, because then they ended up telling the same goddamn story each time what? until you get to the end, and then you're like, oh, okay, well, that was a waste of time. Um, yeah, speaking of hearing aids, uh, when they're playing the uh, when they're playing back the audio from the cockpit at yeah. the very end and the climax of the film, why are they all having to listen on headphones? I know, they listen to everything else without him. <laughs> and, yeah... They're all listening to the same thing, right? Yep. So, <laughs> what the fuck? I've never seen something be so undramatic before in a, oh. in a movie. In a movie, just every single person putting on their headphones. And well, I was about, waiting for one of them, like maybe Sully's was broken, and he had to like stop the whole proceeding or something. But what about the uh, the other weird part of that scene is that there were no cutbacks to the to the courtroom or courthouse or whatever during this. Like, it seemed like, oh, here we are in this large climactic scene, and they just try to cut completely back to the action that happened during the plane crash that we as the audience have already seen multiple say, times. That would only so. work if we hadn't seen it before, because right. then it would make sense. We're stuck in it, you know, whatever. Sure. But because, yeah, because we had seen it three times before, and yet ultimately the script's conflict lies in the courtroom, it, it, it just... Basically, it negates having to have a scene set in the courtroom. And then we have that just fantastic final line of the movie from Aaron Eckhart being asked, would you have done anything differently? I would have done it in July. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just cuts cuts to black. Security, we have a terrorist. He said he would crash a plane in July. (laughs) No! (laughs) Would have been way more entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, just some of these lines are ridiculous, like uh, Aaron Aaron Eckhart having to say, this is real life, not a video game, to the simulations, which, by the way, goddamn, we had to watch those simulations four to five times in a row. By the time we get to those, I felt like I was watching a triple X parody of Sully, but with no nudity whatsoever, so therefore I had blue balls for the rest of the movie. And... (laughs) Luckily for you, it was almost over. Yes, so. luckily. Oh, my God. Uh, what, yeah. what, what about, too, uh, in that, so nobody realistically thought that there would be some sort of element of... Of human? Yes, yeah. of, of having to make a decision. Oh. Like, just immediately yeah. turned right around after, oh, well, the engines are down. We're going to turn right back to the airport right now, to that exact runway. Like, what? I'm, yeah. I'm this not... Was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I gotta say, I said this to you guys after we had walked out of it, uh, not literally walked out, <laughs> I, I would have loved to, but no, when the movie had, uh, had finished, when we left the theater, I mentioned that, you know, really this is, the, one of the reasons why this movie rubbed me the wrong way is for as someone who was a detractor of American Sniper, I actually prefer that film to this film simply because... It's a film. Well, that, but also because here, Clint Eastwood, I feel like, is trying to bury his politics, and yet it makes it even more noticeable, because I feel like he took the criticisms of American Sniper, probably from a very 
specific group of people, maybe being, uh, you know, uh, lefty liberals here, uh, and how that was just a little too jingoistic and uh, favorable to a possible sociopath, whatever. So he's like, oh, okay, you know what? You, you don't like the Americans I showcase? Well, here. And he just wants to slap us all across the face with Sully's dick. And... Here we have a man that, like, nobody can contest, uh, although in his script they can. Uh, nobody can contest, and we're all supposed to love it. And yet, throughout the whole thing, all I could ever really parse through as far as just to kind of dig deeper. Who is arguing with the fact that Sully's <laughs> a fucking hero? Right, but that's the thing. is In the fictionalization of this conflict, he creates this, like... American exceptionalism narrative that revolves around the idea that rules are made to be broken. And in this current political climate, uh. that is also a horrible message from Clint Eastwood because he's trying to, I mean, in my opinion, he's trying to, like, I mean, you could throw the whole, like, PC whatever argument into this narrative of the film saying that, like, if we just rely on what, you know, these laws are, that but we need to be able to speak our mind and we need to go back to the old whatever. I don't know. I just, it rubbed me the wrong way because it felt like him choosing the subject for the sole purpose of trying to cheat the system. I, it just annoyed me. But Considering Nick, he didn't do anything with the subject. But but Nick, you're, you're asking a director who was a former actor who played as probably one of the most quintessential anti-heroes of his time, Dirty Harry. Yeah. And, and, then, and basically just talking about, like, fuck the system, I'm going to go outside of it. Like, my, that's who he is. In my opinion, and I, I assume that you guys would somewhat agree at least, Clint Eastwood has made good to great films previously. Yeah. Um, and, and just for the most part, even though I enjoyed American Sniper and thought it was at its moments that were really great, um, he just seems to have just, I don't want to say anything about like getting old, but he just seems to have just lost his way with, with the way he's, he's, I mean, like Jersey boys, this American sniper, like they're just kind of bland and I don't know. Yeah. And, and I haven't I, really liked a Clint Eastwood film genuinely except for uh, Unforgiven. So that was 1991. I was a. You didn't enjoy a million dollar baby? No? I guess I haven't seen that since it came okay. out, so I don't know if it stuck with me. Okay. Uh, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So. It... Like, there's no story here. Um, all, this, all the conflict with him potentially being an alcoholic and potentially having troubles at home was completely fabricated and is gone in five seconds of dialogue in the film, yet it's a major part of the trailer that was released for this film, which is a problem for me. Because uh, I was... This is supposed to be the untold story. Like, after that trailer, anyone who's realistically just sitting around watching it is led to believe that there's going to be more to the story here. And we find out next to nothing about Sully Sullenberger other than, like you said, Nick, uh, he was a pilot, believe it or not. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it just... This isn't a catch me if you can situation where he was just like a big pilot. (laughs) Well, that would have been something. Yeah, and I guess... Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, there just was... There was nothing here, and there was nothing... No reason this should have ever been made into a full-length film. I mean, if you're going to, you need to at least create more of a like a full life thing about him than just 
really focusing on these five or six days or whatever it is. The only way this story would work for me, if we're going to tell it truthfully, is if you did like a miniseries format where it's completely nonfiction and you actually have everybody involved, whether it be solely, you get passengers, just to tell the story and, you know, kind of use that as a cross-reference to map out the timeline and events. Like that I would actually be all for, but uh, this kind of sensationalism just did not suit the story for me. And I got to say also, Laura Linney, who I do enjoy, in a lot of things, I thought it was completely embarrassed herself. I'm pretty sure she filmed her scenes in a day. She probably did, yeah. and yet one of her scenes is the one where I cringed the most, which is when she calls Zoe and she's like, I just realized there were 257 passengers or whatever, or 157 passengers yeah. on that plane. And one of them was you. It's one like, of them could have been you. Like, oh my gosh. Could have been you. Yeah. He's married to a mentally challenged person. Like, <laughs> it was just such a, oh God. I, I just, it was awful. Uh, it, yeah. It did, oh God. For a movie that really had so much conflict built into it, it could not stick the landing. Ah, uh, oh. yes. Yeah. Because they crashed. Oh. Um. That's another thing, too. And maybe uh, this is one of the parts of the film that was actually held true, and I, I don't deny it. But I think everybody, like... Turtle was there. Yeah, he sure was. It was. He was a little fatter when it actually happened, but he was he was still there. Um, <laughs> Got my liquor company up here. Oh, God. Oh, uh, Evian, yeah. He just... He just shows up to uh to help the people he's actually still driving a suv with uh vince and johnny chase in the back anyways i'm sorry no no so what i was going to be getting at about the film is that the everybody who pretty much has this like weird aura about them after they are saved or whatever it's so weird because everyone seems like obviously ecstatic that they survived a plane crash but at the same time there was this weird vibe by that one character who made it seem like this is like his life achievement now that he survived a plane crash oh he's talking to his dad yeah and he survived a plane crash he's like dad we survived i'm gonna go on facebook and tell everyone that i survived a plane crash bitches it's one of those those holy shit i can't believe that happened and i yeah i i kind of totally understand that but at the same time it was a weird way to write it that's the character so kind of put on that's the characteristic that we went with with the very minimal amount of time we spent with these characters other than the other woman who for some reason decided to jump into the river for no reason and float away no (laughs) i agree in the sense that it was already enough that he had a little mini plot line of him being separated from his father and the fact that they weren't even supposed to be on that plane almost sure. you know, whatever but yeah to add that like whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah tension uh, is like you don't know if like oh is that one person gonna die nope and nobody died no, I'm, well there that, is no tension on that aspect yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean that's and that isn't even a part of it for me yeah and and unfortunately the best part of this film for me is the like 15 seconds before they get to that weird scene where all the people are meeting together by the plane which was actually look cool but it was still kind of weird how it all kind of played out in the beginning of the credits where they had like the video of the real people meeting by the plane that was still all intact. But like the photos and everything and the the story about how it really happened, like that's the kind of stuff that I would love to watch in a 60-minute special that's actually only 42 minutes because it's got 19 minutes of commercials, you know? That's produced and directed by Clint Eastwood, and you can stand to see that. I don't even really need yeah, that. I don't know, that. <laughs> I know what I, he brought to this table. Yeah, I... 
I, I think it's a great story, and I think it's a very interesting uh, moment, but there's no reason for it to be a full-length film. It only ended up being an hour and a half. And, too, so much of the fabricated nonsense takes away from the real story for me. So, yeah. All right. I really enjoyed Aaron Eckhart's mustache. I thought it was a really supreme. The Ned Flanders special. Yep, it was a supreme dad stash, and, uh, yeah, it gets a five out of five for me. That's beautiful. you got to know that that is a hallmark of a great film when a character's stash is the best character. So that's that's good. Yeah, true. it's a strong stash. One thing I do need to point out that this movie is clearly not fictionalized oh is uh, you land a plane on the Hudson, you're going to be able to put your dick anywhere you want because women <laughs> oh, yeah. were flocking to Tom Hanks solely like white on rice, my friend. Uh, there were at least yeah. two counts of inappropriate touching and conduct uh, and by professional employees who were supposed to be uh, uh, servicing Sully and not in that way. I don't um, want to talk anything about double this is standards. This my mom. I don't want to talk anything about double standards because that we don't, we don't. don't. Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> Could you imagine how bizarre it would have been if a woman had done that, had landed the plane on, on the Hudson, and, and there was a man who was the hotel? Oh, I thought you were going to say, can you imagine a woman No, that's that not plane? what I was getting at. <laughs> I don't want to talk about double standards, but <laughs> why does it have to be a fucking man? <laughs> oh, God. Anyways, what I was getting at is if... Yeah. If if uh, a woman was in the Sully Sullenberger role right. and had landed the plane, Let's call her Molly. <laughs> Molly. <laughs> Megan. Uh, what's her Mol- Molly? Yes, yeah. that's the one. All right. Anyways, so let's just say that she lands the the plane in the Hudson, and then there's a man at the hotel who goes up to her and is like, "Oh, if there's anything you need, oh, I just need to give you a hug. This is for everybody." That would have been so fucking rapey. Oh man. Oh no, she kissed him too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it the the whole the whole package is just very odd. How about the awkwardness of that? fake David Letterman thing they threw together. That was just so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Even, well, if it, even if it does look... That is how it actually fake, you went. you mean because of the way it's like composed? Or? Well, yeah, because you have the... he was on... I know, oh, no, okay. and I think it is the actual David Letterman footage right. then yeah. mixed with the... the yeah. But it's just like... I know they're trying to recreate it, but there's something weird about Tom Hanks just bobbing his head like a Muppet at the same time. You're like... Yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. mm-hmm. I, it, it it just didn't work. Supreme acting. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, yeah so Sully, uh, still, even though There's I crapped There's a plane him a lot, in my boat. <laughs> there were things about it that I thought were okay, but yeah, for the most part, uh, this was a pretty big disappointment for me. I wasn't necessarily expecting a great film, but I was expecting better than this. And I also wasn't expecting Clint Eastwood's fucking ass to put a huge Gran Torino billboard with his giant fucking face right in the middle of the goddamn frame. Hey, man, uh, he was just trying to recreate 2008. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Just a little cameo, I guess. And by little, I mean like a big-ass billboard. <laughs> like, Sully goes out of focus and it just starts to slowly pan to Clint Eastwood's yeah. fucking wrinkled face. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Oh. The spirit of Eastwood is watching over you. The spirit of Eastwood? Yeah. See <laughs> ya. See ya. See a, uh, a Christmas Carol sure. character? Uh, no. That's what Grant Tinero is, right? Uh, 
We're no. Sully and Sully. <laughs> no, uh, Gran Torino. Have you ever seen it? Uh, no, I've only heard about it. Gran Torino is one of the most racist films ever. I heard that it was. You could basically be summed up as um, Clint Eastwood walking around the block a couple of times, barking racial slurs at everything that moves, and then dying. That's pretty much it. But you're supposed to love him. <laughs> uh-huh. That's neat. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's put it this way. Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to do it, because I was going to say something that was, I think, the least offensive thing he says in the film, and it's still too <laughs> offensive for me to say. There so, go. there it is. I appreciate that. All right. <laughs> Moving on, we are going to talk about the uh, John S. Baird film, uh, That Is Filth, which stars James McAvoy, as uh, his starring career is probably over at this point here in 2016. I mean, he's not getting many more starring roles, let's just I was going to say, he's had a lot of chances. And they haven't really all worked out at all, any of them, Mm. so... Except for Professor X, but... Well, but that's that's more of an ensemble thing, so... Uh, this is based on the novel written by Irvine Welsh, uh, who's more famously known for uh, writing Train Spotting. Um, and he wrote this novel as well. It's adapted into a book, uh, or adapted into a film. Uh, and, I'm going to write a book on this. Um, for me, at least, by a mile, uh, not even close to as well adapted. Um, even if you don't necessarily love train spotting or even like it, I, I think there's just a lot better filmmaking elements there than in, at this. But uh, the film does star James McAvoy as well as Jamie Bell, Eddie Marson, Imogene Poots. <laughs> also uh, showing up here is a couple other characters playing smaller roles, including Jim Broadbent. Yeah. Who, for Ooh. the most part, I really enjoy, but here was uh, interesting. And uh, also, uh, another person who has a very loud uh, role is Katie Dickey. Uh, You may have recognized her earlier this year when she played the mother in The Witch. Uh, And she also was one of the astronauts in Prometheus. (laughs) (laughs) A very loud role. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, and and a very interesting character here as well. Uh, This film uh, centers around a corrupt junkie police officer with borderline personality disorder who attempts to manipulate his way through... First of all, isn't that kind of a spoiler? I mean, not to say, like, our podcast cares about a spoiler, but that's like a weird summary... uh... I'm just reading... No, 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 I'm just saying, because I feel like I read that on Netflix, too, but I forgot about that just now. Anyway... Maybe it's supposed to be obvious, but I feel like in the first like ten minutes, I would have not necessarily known that if I hadn't read it beforehand. Yeah, right. So, a corrupt junkie police officer with borderline personality disorder attempts to manipulate his way through a promotion in order to win back his wife and daughter. Wow, that is just a straight spoiler. <laughs> while also fighting his own borderline fueled inner demons. God, these are just the best. Let me tell you, that is just pretty much Pulitzer Prize stuff right there. That's a winner right there. Yeah. Does that make me then? You're a policeman. Christ. Who taught you that technique? A friggin' cheese grater? Scotland. We're such a uniquely successful race. This nation brought the world television, whiskey, and of course, me, Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson. 
The games are always being played. That's everything you need to know about the guys you're after. I never thought I'd see the day when I left a knocking shop with more spunk than I came in with. Down the road I go. Nobody plays the games like me. Down the road. You just have to be the best. <laughs> and I usually am. Same rules apply. What? But honey, you're my last hope. And who else? Look at the state you're in, Bruce. I'm worried about you, Bruce. Come on, Silver Lane. I used to be a good person. You're gonna hit me, Bruce. I think there's something seriously wrong with me. Have you been to see a doctor? Have you been since our last consultation? No problems, I presume. No more cocaine and chip suppers for Bruce, eh? Could go either way. I find all this just a little bit sorted. What made you join the force, Bruce? Police oppression, brother. And you wanted to stamp it out from the inside? No, I wanted to be a part of it. Can I just have a glass of water? Not until I've got something else in mind for you. So this film uh, is is obviously going for off the wall. It's got that sort of Bronson slash Guy Ritchie feel. Let's not to put it. Bronson in the same category as this. Bronson deserves better. Um, I mean, it's the same kind of crazy I, I, I thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you're saying. Uh, but it's like Martin Corsese had LSD <laughs> with glow sticks. <laughs> it. It, this is just a um, an interesting little film that uh, didn't really work out. So uh, I guess I'll start because oh, unless Tucson wants to start, yeah, I don't, I, you I feel, do. I feel obli- okay. I feel obligated to start. Okay, well, tell us why you feel obligated, then go into your thoughts. Um, because you know, a week ago we were just throwing around ideas as to what we're going to do for the next episode. And I and also, too, we should mention that uh, our friend Erin was supposed to join us for this episode, and she, she wasn't able to make it. Yeah. So we just uh, want to shame her. Well, no. yes, that's how we're rolling. But we, we will say, and we didn't... We, the way we, this came about is that we all separately picked different films mm-hmm. and let her decide which one she wanted to do the most. Without her knowing. Right. And she picked Toussaint's pick, which Mm. was Filth. Um, So that's how we ended up here. And also that's mentioning that Aaron. Before you go, should should we tell what the other picks were? So that way you know. Sure, please. I actually forgot the other ones. I I made a, I I would say, somewhat a surprising pick. You did. uh, Because I was, as a film that I still have not watched yet. Uh, and that is Lars von Trier's Melancholia, I which would, I still do want to watch. I would, I would have loved to, to have done that instead. <laughs> and I yeah. have thrown out a movie I've been meaning to see, which is a New Zealand uh, horror comedy called Housebound. But uh, Aaron, and she's not even here, <laughs> chose filth. Yep. After and Toussaint chose filth. After, yes. So you guys can both go fuck yourself. I'm sorry. I, I, I feel obligated to go first because, yes, I did choose filth, but only because, well, I was just like scrolling through Netflix and I saw that it was there. And I remembered that it was based off an Irving Welsh 
novel the same way that Trainspotting was. So I thought, you know, James McAvoy, I've enjoyed him and other things. What could go wrong? Apparently everything, because this film is shit. Um, I'm honestly aghast and just surprised with how inept this entire film was for me. And I usually I don't say that. I don't use such strong language with a film, but like this film just fails oh, on every PG. on every level for me. Is like I I can't understand why this exists and why it is as bad as it is. I. I'm trying oh, to... I think it's pretty clear why it's as bad as it is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, really, yeah, that, that, that's true. James McAvoy's character—I can't even remember what his name is. Like he's like Bruce or something. I thought he was uh, Mr. Filth. Well, let's just call him Mr. Filth. Mr. Filth uh, starts out as fucking a... great Bond villain, right there. Yeah, nice filth. I, I actually prefer that. Like that's dirty. Be filth. more interesting. Dirty, dirty. <laughs> um. He starts out as an amoral, charismatic, uh, relatively capable sociopath. And During the Suicide Squad introductions earlier in the film. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah, that, that, that's true. Um, and then he ends up as a entirely inept, uh, self-destructive, uh, bipolar-afflicted sociopath. And I just I, I, I just don't see the purpose of why I even watch that film. Like, even the humor itself. Like, I, I, I had to expect that a film called Filth is going to have some raunchy, debauched humor. And I have no problem with that at all. I am someone who names one of my adolescent favorites, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, as one of my favorite comedies. Um, but this, it just really... It, it, it didn't do anything for me other than to reinforce the fact of James McAvoy's character being just a total fucking asshole. Um, the, the point that kind of like switched that in my mind was when he was out with his partner uh, and they were roughing up some uh, local gang member who was, like, taking the 16-year-old girl to, like, bed or whatever. And he made the uh, 16-year-old girl, the uh, the minor that they were going to arrest the guy for for having sex with, made the minor uh, perform fellatio on... Well, sort on... of, because he couldn't get hard for her, and, so... And you, I, you that know, means he's a good guy at heart. <laughs> that, you, you know, that... No, I'm, I'm sorry, that... That's not how that works. Nope, you... you Still put the Fuck. dick in the mouth. Yeah, it was just like... You, uh, <laughs> all right, well... Sorry, I don't mean to gum up the works. Here. No, I'm... I'm <laughs> I can't, I can't go that. I can't go fucking me. Somebody go back. <laughs> well, I hated this movie as well. I won't even talk about it that long before I pass it off to Alex, but I thought it was god-awful. I thought James McAvoy embarrassed himself. I thought the script was ridiculous. And I hear a lot of people are going to say that this was based on a book, like as if that excuses it. But you know what? So is the inevitable adaptation of Mein Kampf. doesn't mean that it's actually entertaining to watch. And I got to say that there is just nothing in this movie that works for me. It's a, un, you know, it's a, ooh, it's a politically incorrect foul mouth detective, whatever. We, and, we don't have any of those. Right. And here's the thing. It does something similar to one of my all-time favorite movies that we've talked about on this podcast, which I think uh, you might agree with me as far as similarities, uh, in Bruges. In mm-hmm. fact, I'd almost mm-hmm. argue that yeah. the sins that uh, Colin Farrell's character is repenting for is almost graver than what we kind of get from James... Only because it gets so fucking hard to keep track on what James McAvoy does. Uh, but... Well, it's so like at least in in Bruges, which is a vastly superior film and is actually a really fantastic movie. There's a very easy story to follow, and also uh, something that makes you think. Where here, it's like, look at how crazy and wild this is, and yeah. there's all this 
sort of unnecessary, abstract, hard-to-grasp story structure, storylines that were just unnecessary. Yeah. It's the whole reveal of the twist. I call it a twist as far as the way the movie... I'm not saying anyone can't see it coming or anything like that, but the way the movie clearly uh, doles it out, the fact that he is also the the woman, uh, which I actually don't even know if I fully understand the extent of what that twist means. Does that mean that... Norman's mother! No, I'm just kidding. I'm just... <laughs> but, like, just so I guess... Because here's the thing. I watched it, like, all, over a week ago now. Sure. I was somewhat intoxicated, and I was only going to... the only gonna... way, I think. <laughs> And I was only, like, I was 20 minutes into it, I told you guys this, but 20 minutes into it, I'm like, if I stop this now to, like, finish it later, never I never I never it. will finish it. So I just kind of powered through it. But does that twist imply anything other than the fact that he's the girl in the movie? Like, is yeah, he... he is. Okay, but, like, is he also... So did he kill his wife? And No, she's still alive. No, you see, at, at the beginning... Because I've already forgotten it. No, so. no, no, no. Yeah. The... His wife is alive. You see her in the actual supermarket with, with her fucking That's right. black okay. guy. Now I remember that. Which, now. Okay. Whoa. There's a, there's well, a, I mean, no, I, but, I, I'm but making... That, but that's yeah, the answer yeah. to the reason why yes, he... Okay. Like, before James McAvoy's character, Mr. Filth, and his partner go in to, like, arrest the, the gang member, they're sitting outside. They're, they're scoping out the place. And eventually it gets to a conversation about... Um, about, about black guys or whatever, and he, he like uses a racial slur, and he gets like really intense and angry about it, and you're wondering, like, where did all this hatred come from? And then you jump towards the end, gotcha, and you realize, gotcha, gotcha. like, okay, that's who his wife left It's like for. almost like he's not prejudiced. He just has a fragile heart. But yeah, so ultimately, <laughs> that's why I hated this movie, because I'm always the well, there's first... There's lots, lots of reasons. I'm always the first person, I think, ex- even possibly in this group, to like leap to defend despicable characters in film. I love assholes and whatnot, sure. and I love sympathizing with them or empathizing with them, but this movie did nothing to actually earn the sympathy, and by the time this movie hangs its emotional climax and the main character uh, to the tune of a cover of Radiohead's Creep oh of, my God. as an actual, genuine, sincere moment. Uh, that's, I mean, I hated it before, but that's when it solidified itself as one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Most maudlin, so. stupid-ass moment ever. How about ever? The, uh, the moment where he looks and basically winks at the camera as he falls off into being hung? It says a end. lot that this movie shares a similar plot device to Freddy vs. Jason, and it's better <laughs> Executed in Freddy vs. Chase. By a mile. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so I'll give my thoughts. First things first, uh, I fell victim to a very similar thing to Nick where I saw the first 30 minutes or so, uh, turned it off because I didn't want to watch any more of it on. Uh, you sent us a text saying, I was like, oh, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I think it was comparatively to you guys. Right. I was saying yeah. that I, I didn't think it was as bad as you were saying. Yeah. I still thought there were third parts that were horrible in the first 30 minutes. There were things about it that I was like, you know what? I might actually really like this. The uh, Suicide Squad introduction thing that I'm making fun of, I actually kind of enjoyed. I, I did like this sort of way they set up all these different characters. Uh, Imogene Poots' character, uh, the guy who's called Gus, who is like the old um, detective or, or whatever exactly he was. And in this this kind of fighting out for this promotion, I would have been on board uh, had this film had been a little bit more streamlined and been a little bit more about how he was kind of going 
undercover to fuck up everyone else to try to get this promotion. But instead, this forgets about that about 30 minutes in and tries to sprinkle it in here and there and then just becomes all about him and his depressive personality, multiple personalities, whatever. And it just... It's just a total mess. I love Machiavellian storylines. I love seeing disreputable characters eventually like climb their way to the top, not as a as a affirmative like fuck yeah, but just really like seeing all of the moving parts of their plan as right. they come together so, and hey, seeing what's the one thing that so, like this is like Othello. Up. Oh hell no. <laughs> so do so do audiences. I mean um, Christian Bale's character of Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, like that is one of like a one of the weirdest cult movies ever because he's just a horrible person for the most part. Yeah. Who people are just profoundly just obsessed with watching and thinking about in in, in the, the film genre. But I, I don't think that I I, I can totally see. Um... Yeah, to, to step aside to talk about a much better film for a second. Um, I I don't think that. It, it kind of falls in line to that, but there's no grand, there, there's there's no grand conclusion that Patrick Bateman is working towards other than the the sustaining of his lifestyle, right? The the, the, yeah. the, the per, just perpetuating his lifestyle. Yeah, because Tucson was commenting on the Machiavellian meaning like the power, uh, shall we say, climbing over a mountain of bodies that, in order to get to like what not you necessarily want. the nastiness, but the oh. way, the way he's trying to manipulate the coworkers well, to okay. bend over to his will, oh. yeah, or like the way he sleeps with his uh, coworkers, uh, yeah. their friend. Is that like his friend? I, it's really uh, stupid. Is he sleeping with all of his coworkers? That's true, why? except yeah. with, for Poots. Well, well, he tries to. I was going to say, like, I feel like if she would have, but uh, yeah. yeah. And oh god, the fact that this also that the hanging uh, he uses the scarf that she gave him. Not that I didn't care about that. Yeah, that was just stupid. But <laughs> uh, the fact that like that coincides with him trying to impart that word of wisdom to the one friend that he had been screwing over the whole time, and then that friend... makes him out makes himself out to be like the hero of the story. Yeah, and then yeah. he turns around to like make out with his wife. It's like, oh, his marital problems are solved. Yeah, and uh, his wife is played by Moni Myrtle from the Harry Potter. Film, so that was a little weird. Is it really? Yeah. Oh shit. That's okay. Like I thought it was somewhat familiar. That's creepy. There I like the uh, <laughs> the hallucination uh, psychiatrist who is played by the guy. Who also is from Jim Harry Broadbent. Potter. Yeah, yeah he's, Broadbent. He's also in uh, Hot Fuzz. He's in a lot of things. I was yeah. say. He's great. Moulin Rouge. He is. I've never seen Moulin Here Rouge. is not great. Um, he plays the mad scientist with the growing head. Yeah. Uh, kind of like that character in the failed uh, Spider-Man series with uh, uh, what's his name? Um, There's a villain with a growing head. Yeah. What's his name with the fucked up head? Big uh, head. Yeah. Um. Damn it. Peter Skarsgård plays that villain in the first one, or is that Green Lantern? I don't know. What? One of those bad superhero movies. Oh, hey. you're thinking about Green Lantern? Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. I'm like, Whoa. I was just like, about? wait a minute. What the fuck are you talking about, Alex? I have never heard of Big Head Man, okay? I am so deep in the nerd hole. I have no idea who the fuck that is. Yeah. Oh, dear. But anyways. Oh, yeah, Jim Broadbent. Yes. He's good. Not great here, unfortunately. And what was the point here? I don't know. I mean, he made some comments about... So did also at some point did uh, did Mister Filth lose his like brother or something like that? Yeah, uh, they make it seem like he 
he had a moment like uh, like Jamie Foxx did in Ray, where they're playing, and then he drowned his brother, and then it so is this, what wasn't is this, his fault. In the air tonight by Phil Collins. I mean, <laughs> it it, I, it it either sounds like a storyline that was integrated on behalf of the fact that it was in the original source material, and they just yeah. like cut it out halfway, and it had no purpose other than to be there at the behest of the original well, material, or that's meant to be a implication that somehow the death of his younger brother somehow initialized the fracture in his psyche that manifested is, later. Isn't as there Michael also syndrome. supposed to be a major part of the book that, that his father, his father had raped his mother and that he didn't know who his father was and something. Like I that. have never actually read the source material. And after watching this film, I probably won't. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going off of, of <laughs> things I had read about the film. I, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll just end this by yeah. saying that, James McAvoy... Please, put us out of our misery. (laughs) James McAvoy, in my opinion, uh, unless he makes a drastic change in his career, which is very much possible, just like Tom Hardy is just never going to be a starring character. He just doesn't have... He doesn't have what it takes to command a film for an entirety as a main character, in my opinion. Tom Hardy's been a starring man. What I'm saying is that, just like Tom Hardy... It's not going to work out. Like he's not going to make good films as a starring role that are successful. Like if you look at Tom Hardy's starring roles, they for the most part all been massive failures. Even Mad Max, where he's, he's the starring uh, role, he ends up becoming a side character. In he's outshined by Furiosa. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I don't. I, it just unfortunately it was disappointing because this seemed a little bit up my alley when I started watching it and. There's just nothing there. Uh, much like a film that I love the first half hour, and then as it goes deeper and deeper into psychosis or drugs or, or what have you, um, Fury and Loathing in Las Vegas, which people love the way that that film plays throughout, where after the first fun 45 minutes, I'm just ready to jump off and uninterested anymore. Um, and that's a film that has a much better streamlined plot well, at least than this does. Well, film commits to one yes. so- single narrative, and yes. whether, obviously, you prefer the first half, second, whatever, but like the way this movie doesn't commit to anything because it tries to grasp at everything. It just yeah. makes no sense. And it just, um, yeah, there just wasn't really that much here to really be interested in there was there was no real humor here i mean are we all supposed to laugh at them taking off their pants and taking xerox copies of their dicks and then the one girl being like oh you clicked the enlarge button which didn't enlarge your legs but made your penis huge so go fuck me and then i'll find out you have a small dick like what that, she that looks whole, so disappointed. <laughs> that that whole series of events with the comedic music that was behind it was so. <laughs> it's you're 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 saying that, but it actually was it <laughs> it wasn't that far sad. off. Might as, might as well have been, yeah. It was just um, it just there just and of course Jamie Bell's character had a, a laughably small penis. I like. I guess that was supposed to be funny, but I was just sitting there where, like, with my arms crossed watching that scene in the lunchroom I work today, <laughs> trying to make sure nobody came by while I watched movie. Uh, you lived dangerously. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, it was either that or I was not going to watch the rest, which probably would have been fine, too. But, yeah, um, the whole movie just was not that good. Yeah. I want to say the whole thing about this movie centering around the idea that Mr. Filth has a fractured uh, psyche makes no sense to me, only for the sole purpose of we don't actually get a sense that he has a fractured psyche. We 
we see one consistent asshole throughout the entire movie, and yeah, we can sometimes get glimpses into, shall we say... People like, wearing pig masks and shit. Well, yeah, that, and like he's got these weird dreams with Jim Broadbent and whatnot, um, but it's not until the end, which is doled out like a twist, that we truly learn the extent of how fractured it is, and then once we learn that, it becomes even more meaningless, because... Because we're not allowed to explore that throughout the entire movie, mm-hmm. like it just becomes a laughable twist on a movie that was never deep enough to support something like that. But the idea that he has a fractured psychosis, like it honestly, I have to grasp at straws to figure out how James McAvoy actually played a person with a fractured psyche because I just I don't even see it despite being told it. I, like, I mean, I mean, I kind of already, I kind of already called it. Because at the, at the beginning, when it shows him and in his actual home, and he's like uh, prank calling that one woman with like sex talk or whatever, and he's actually in his living room watching porn, trying to to bring himself to climax. And I'm just thinking, who the fuck watches porn in their in their fucking like living room when their wife and Whoa. their child that are at home? Don't judge. And like what? Where are they? Were they supposed to go to the public library? Where are they? I gotta take care of this shit now. <laughs> Where are they? It was just like so that that was always in the back of my mind. Um, yeah, I, I I thought that whole twist was very very flaccid and very un, un- uh, <laughs> incomplete. Because he can't. Oh, incomplete too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It just never came together. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, it's just—I don't know—I just would have appreciated the much more penetrating character mm-hmm. Yeah, going all the way and, and you know going through and not you know. All right, guys, let's stop dicking around here. <laughs> You're right. You know, forcing the action and not worrying about you know any sort of barriers. Just you know, going right in. Uh, I hate this film. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, does anybody have anything else to say about it? Because I don't. What the fuck is up with his catchphrase? <laughs> of, shot, God damn it! What the fuck is up with his catchphrase of same Stacey rules apply? What? Same, same rules word. apply. Like at the end, like when he's actually looking at the camera. Yeah, I don't know went, actually what that meant. W- was I supposed to clue into that for the entire film? I was like, nope. It just makes nope. That's oh god. Well, you guys get excited because next year James McAvoy is reprising his role as Mr. Filth in the M. Night Shyamalan film Split. Well, at least from that trailer alone, I can see the actual fracture that is fucking psyche. serious? Huh? Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, I remember I'm, that trailer I'm, now. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but he's playing right, right. a character that but is from those 90 seconds. supposed to have split personality disorder. Yeah, I remember watching that trailer. I was like, hmm. It looks like a much superior film than this one. I'm excited for that movie. Whether it be good or not, it looks like at least could maybe be good. I think it's going to be huge. Whether it's good or not, I just the audience, really quickly, taking a sidestep here, but the audience we've watched it with at the theater, I feel like that was the first time I truly felt an audience go silent during an entire trailer. Well, and not that she's a star at all at this point, but Anya Taylor-Joy is in it, and she, obviously, people really noticed her in uh, The Witch earlier this year as Thomason, so... Would you say that M. Night Shyamalan is on a upswing lately? Not yet, Possibly, no. like, he could be... I heard uh, the, the visit, visit was good, even though I didn't watch it. Yeah, yeah. I heard the visit was good. I mean, it, for the most part, I'll say this: like a slow incline. Uh, I mean, there was really nowhere to go other than retiring or going back up in some way. <laughs> retiring or dying or going back up. Well, yeah. I mean, after After Earth, which is or the like, Lady in the Water. 
I was going to say, like, when After Earth is the worst out of Lady in the Water, The Last Airbender, and The Happening, like, you know you suck. <laughs> um, so, and that is throwing in The Village as a somewhat good movie that if you yeah. compared it to his first three movies, it's terrible. So, it's, yeah. Uh, we'll see about M. Night Shyamalan. I'm going to go see Split. That's his first film, film I will have seen in the Mr. theater. Split. <laughs> That's the first film I will, uh, and Mr. Split and Mr. Filth. Uh, the first film of his I will have seen in the theater, I think, since The Village. So. Oh, boy, yeah. yeah. I think for me it would be Signs. Really? <laughs> Didn't even catch Village in the theater? Nope. Yeah, that's fine. I'm totally fine that I missed all those. I mean, if you really look at James McAvoy's starring roles, let me just let me just throw a couple of these out there for you. Uh, since uh, The Last King of Scotland, which was his role that he was usually known for in his earlier career, uh, he's had his role in Atonement, uh, oh, yeah. which is pretty well known. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Wanted, uh, Arthur Christmas... I've heard good things about that. Nomeo and Juliet. I've heard not good things about that. Uh, Welcome to the Punch. Trance, which looks pretty similar to Filth. Uh, Yeah, that's that Danny Boyle movie about the people who use hypnosis to steal things. I actually kind of want to see it. We should have watched that instead of this movie. (laughs) Uh, he then appeared in uh, the two versions of The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. That's right, and I watched his version. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, want, st- I still want to see it. I still watched her version, because uh... I'm sexist. <laughs> and then uh, last year, he uh, played alongside of Harry Potter in Victor Frankenstein. Mm. So, clearly mm. had a smashing career here yeah. in uh, this decade, so... Yeah, we'll see about uh, James McAvoy going forward, but uh, Split may, uh, may be good next year, and we'll see. It's pretty soon. That's a, that's a January release, I want to say. So, yeah. yeah. So, final thoughts on Filth. Uh, Toussaint, go ahead, because really we don't need to spend any more time talking about this. Uh, it's bad. I give it a half star, and that's the lowest rating I've ever given anything, because uh, fuck this movie, and I'm sorry that I made us watch this. Good. Thank you. Half star, it sucked. Okay. Um, I still gave this film two stars just because I did enjoy uh, the early parts of it and some things throughout that I I was kind of interested in. But the twist, uh, in addition to uh, the further on psychoanalysis by uh, regular people, which is always, you know, very helpful. Uh, And also, at the same time, his hallucinations that he was having with the animals and, and that kind of thing. Uh, I just wanted to jump off, and I would have turned this off if I wasn't watching it for the podcast. Yeah. But still, still had some things here that I was okay with. But if I watch this again, I undoubtedly would be lowering my, lowering my rating. But probably won't have to worry about that. That's a hell of a thing to know that you would lower your rating the next time you watch right. this film. Again, so. Imagine how tedious this would play on a second viewing when you, like, have it confirmed uh, as far as everything that's happening. Like just those scenes then become even more meaningless of right. the, of the girl, the girl in front of the camera yeah. doing her Ferris Bueller. I'm not going to have sex with my husband until he gets a promotion, which yeah, it's yeah. It anyway. says something that the, the virtue of the film is in that you don't know anything about it, but then as soon as you like watch it again, it's like, Hmm. Yeah, anyway, sorry. So anyways, uh, went ahead and gave this two out of five, but uh, yeah, nothing really to see here. Uh, 
if you have any thoughts on uh, this film, you can Go always... fuck yourself. Yes. And you can always send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Tell us we suck. Or that, too. That also will work. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show, or on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. Uh, we talked a little bit about Jim Broadbent, and uh, me, myself and Nick mentioned that he... Uh, has shown up in uh, many films over the years, including the film we'll be talking about next week. Crazy. Uh, and, and this is a movie that I've really been wanting to watch in its entirety. Uh, I know Toussaint is a pretty big fan of this, and I actually know quite a few people who really enjoy this film. It has one of my favorite actors of all time, uh, Hugo Weaving, in it. And uh, I'm excited to really sit down and dedicate three hours to this film, and that is Cloud Atlas. Yeah. A, uh, a film that was uh, an interesting uh, collaboration in terms of uh, directing, as uh, it was directed by uh, the Wachowski sisters, and uh, also Tom Tickfer uh, got involved here oh. as well. Uh, so it was a very interesting um, sort of, I, I don't even know how that exactly worked, because I mean... When you have two people directing, it, it kind of makes sense. But when it's three, I mean, I, I don't even know exactly how that would... Now we're getting crazy. <laughs> well, just the, the, the collaborative nature of that is, yeah. uh, is uh, very interesting. So, yeah, this is a, uh, a film that um, is, is really hard, I think, to jump on in the middle and get anything out of. Because I have seen multiple scenes of this film and I have no fucking ideas what's happening in any of them. So... Um, I'm going to sit down, watch it from start to finish, and we are all going to obviously watch it and talk about it next week. It's a film that's been sitting on my shelf for a couple years now, and I still have not yet watched it because it's three hours. Yeah. I mean, it's three hours, and it has a very daunting premise, so to speak. I've watched it like three times now. Well, shit, that's like nine hours. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it wasn't all in like one marathon day. <laughs> back to back to back. Yeah. I loved it so much, I'm going to watch it again and again. Yeah, yeah. I've done that with Primer, but that's 70 minutes long. So yeah, that's Primer. That's pretty short. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about that next week, and I think we're all pretty much looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. And I want to venture a guess that uh, we will have a higher combined rating than a total of three stars. Absolutely. Uh, I would guess. Whoa. Maybe yeah. just Tucson will have a higher rating than that. So, look forward to that uh, next week. From Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman, as always, thank you very much for listening to Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time.